Hey everyone, I'd like to welcome you to the show and just remind everyone that we have shirts in the shop. Go to pgttcm.com. You can pick up shirts, stickers. We even have those shower curtains I was talking about last time. Also, you can join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Check out the show notes and learn how you can be a part of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, help support the show any way you can. Patreon users, uh, you get a free sticker, at least. So check out what we've got. Uh, Show notes, that's where you're going to find our PayPal link and our sponsors and any information about any guests that are on the show and where to find them. Thank you. You're listening to KZOM, Olean Public Radio. 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 It's me, D.B. Spitzer, and to my virtual right, as always, Farmer Dave, how well are you doing today? I am doing virtually well today. Nice, nice. I am, uh, I'm well done. And yeah, um, welcome. The sun's coming out. What's that? After all that snow, the sun's coming out. Yeah, no, no, it's, 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 it's like a Beatles song or something. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually getting warm. Um, it's, it's not like spring warm. It's like nice winter warm when you're like, oh, hey, let's open up the windows, everyone, or let's open up the curtains, everyone, and crack the windows a little bit and get that winter stink out of the house. But yeah. So, so our listeners in California and Florida, when he says it's warm, he means 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it got up to 51, and I was like, wow, this is nice. And, um, you know, it doesn't really dip below 30 this time of year, but it, getting up to 51 is like, oh, cool. Um, it, it, got, it, it got below 20 at a night on the uh, at night in the farm. Oh, I we had to break out some goat coats for the farm yeah. for the goats. Oh man, I remember uh, having to put coats on horses when I was a kid and hating it because the horses hated those things. That and fly nets on their face. But yeah. Anyway, uh, do, do you have to put like fly nets or anything like that on uh, goats' faces when, uh, when when it's summertime? No. no, no, no. Goats are goats no, are pretty good a, at keeping flies off their face. No, no, it's not a problem like horses. Okay. All right, they they move around too much. I'm sure. <laughs> now you give me something to worry about. That, that could be that they move around. Yeah, I, I don't know, but yeah, it's, it's it's not really an issue. I mean, then, I mean, flies in in the the house uh-huh. uh, haven't really been a an issue sure. uh, since. Uh, we had the house exercised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But, uh, cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, and uh, things are pretty uh, pretty 
pretty normal out in the cemetery. Everything's melted, as I said last week. Uh, we had a little bit of a silver thaw, though, because everything melted, then it rained, then it froze, then uh, downtown and Eldritch Town were just a sheet of ice. Everyone was ice skating. Um, let's see, last time I said I went to the medical center and got my uh, booster and my flu shot and also my new glary guitar and unfortunately because i got at my, the medical center at the medical center uh the west medical center and um it's named after uh dr west it's 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 uh in the north part of town but it's called the west medical center uh so i got both shots and i have been so weak from my shots uh and everyone's like, oh, you know, those affect um, men over 35 differently. And oh, yeah, if you had a hard time with uh, any of your shots before. Oh, yeah, if you've ever had a problem with your flu shots, it's like, oh, man. So I have just been laying on the couch watching uh, Korean edits of The Simpsons where I don't know if I talked about this last week, but um, I don't think you did. Okay. Okay. It's, it's really crazy. Uh, Korean edits of The Simpsons where it's like um, like any of the jokes that wouldn't like really kind of translate like automatically are taken out and it's it's it seems like more like a, a, a normal family sitcom and a lot of jokes are like taken out and, and it's it's ends up being like nine minutes long and it's like newer episodes and i've even seen some episodes where it's older episodes that have been chopped together multiple episodes and it turns like one episode or, or like three episodes into like a totally different new episode it's 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 really bizarre and i don't have links for that or anything like that right now because um i've been watching it while i was sick and it's just like whatever youtube is showing me so um makes me wonder what what did they take out of the squid games that they didn't want to show us <laughs> i don't know i don't know um I'm, I, I don't. I currently don't have Netflix, so I couldn't tell you what uh, what a Squid Game is. I, I know that it exists, and I've been avoiding any references to it because the fact that um, I want to watch it, and and I don't want to like. So, so you know what a real world Squid Game is? Uh, what what's a real world Squid Game? It's it's kind of the Korean version of hopscotch. Okay. And it goes like in different angles, uh -huh. in different directions, oh. so that, that it goes out like squid tentacles. Oh. So yeah. They, I, I haven't seen the movie yet, but I, sure. I, I know what what's a real Squid Game is. Okay. Yeah, so there are the TV series, but I, so yeah, and they, I guess they go out like from a center place so that not everybody's hopping in the same place. Ah. But but that's what that's what a, a Squid Game is in real life. It's a, a Korean version of hopscotch. Oh, that's cool. That's 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 pretty cool to know. Uh, if it's not gonna get me a job or not gonna be on a test. I know it. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I, I remember a period of time, Dave, uh, before Wikipedia, before before smartphones, when people like you and I were Wikipedia, were, you know, people would be like, hey, Dave, who's, who was that blonde lady that was in uh, that Tom Hanks movie with the mermaid? And, and you would go, oh, Daryl Hannah. <laughs> and, you know, I mean... <laughs> and we were gods among men, and then the internet brought us down a peg. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> Wikipedia, no one asks me questions about Teen Wolf anymore. <laughs> 
Anyway, anyway. Uh, yeah, so this week we're not talking about graveyards. We're not talking about snow and ice. We're not even talking about uh, teen lycanthropes. We are talking about Dagon and Hydra and the Deep Ones. This so before we, since we're talking about what's real and what's not, before we talk to about Lovecraftian Dagon, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. let's talk about the real Dagon. Okay, because Lovecraft didn't invent the name. Who's who's this real Dagon you're talking about? So Dagon is a Mesopotamian or uh, you know Syrian deity. It's a little bit of confusing. Yeah. And Lovecraft gets confused, but it's not really his fault this time. Okay. So Dagon is seen often as the uh, Philistine ocean god. In reality, Mm -hmm. he was a fertility sort of... He was sort of like the god of the dew and the mist. He was the god of, you know, the the water that would... Enough water in the desert to let them grow crops. Gotcha. But he gets really confused with another god and named Onus. And Onus is basically the, the, the Philistine, and, and I, I, experts are gonna call in, and I'm, I'm using Mesopotamian, mm-hmm. Philistine, and all these steens sort of simultaneously. Sure, they're yeah. not. Uh-huh. But he was, uh, the god of the ocean and the storms. Um, and it really was, the two were confused. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until after Lovecraft had written Dagon that it realized, that academics realized that when they had been talking about Dagon, they'd been talking about Onus the whole time. Huh, Okay. Um, and so Lovecraft uses the word Dagon because he thinks it's an ocean deity, but uh-huh. everybody in 1918, 1917, 1920 thought that this was who they were talking about. Okay. Now Lovecraft is of course an atheist, but he's at least familiar with the Bible. Sure. And Dagon pops up a couple times in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Most um, importantly. It's the temple that where Samson gets his hair cut off. Okay. And he's tried and he tears down. That's the temple of Dagon. Ah, okay. Right. And you remember The Shape of Water? Yeah. The movie? So, again, spoilers for what, a four-year-old movie or so? Mm-hmm. And, but the, the agent is always talking about the story of Samson, comparing himself to Samson. Uh-huh. Well, so that's where, where the, the metaphor comes from because... The, the the sea creature, you know, that's mm-hmm. sort of Dagon, and, and he's the Samson character, uh, but it's told from the, the fish person's perspective. Okay, gotcha. All right. That's cool. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I like yeah. that. And, uh, and so one of the few, and then, then we can maybe talk, people say, want to go back to what they, they're listening to, but one of the few times in uh, Stargate 1, uh-huh, where there were really sort of non like human aliens there was one episode where there was a, a an aquatic alien mm-hmm. and they actually call it ones and they use ones uh correctly in that term but they were making that in the you know the 21st century sure so not not based on you know bad anthropology of the the 19th and earliest 20th century yeah yeah okay 
Well, that's that's interesting. That that that, that that's where uh, Dagon comes from. Now, where does Hydra come from? Hydra is just a mythological monster that, like. <sighs> So, 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 in the the nineteen forties, a secret Nazi organization dropped the Kaiser. <laughs> no, okay, no, no. So, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure Hydra just comes in. And Lovecraft, of course, was uh, he, he knew Greek mythology. Sure, yeah, you know. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I think he just pulled the name out of Hydra the Beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it just it seems like I don't know, just like. Hydra for 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 this it just it gets confusing <laughs> when you're when you try and search Hydra. <laughs> yeah, hey, Hydra. You want to know a couple other cool Dagon facts? Oh, sure, yeah. So they've discovered the bones of a type of whale that is extinct. Uh-huh. That is a uh, Latin name has Dagon in it. Oh, okay. All right. And there's also a Dagon butterfly. No, I did not know that. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, that's a little bit of backstory there. Uh, yeah. No. Um, I, I was gonna say. There's also a, t- a little town in California named Dagon. Really? Yeah. Up in I think it's um, like uh, Alameda County somewhere up there. Okay. All right. Okay, I, I don't know that part of California, so I couldn't uh, even like point it out on a map. Um, but hey, uh, anyone who's listening, feel free to go to MapQuest or Google Maps or any of those uh, digital map sites. Or if you have paper maps, whoa. No, I mean, I'm, I'm recording in uh, downtown, so I'm like, I just heard a police car go through. So anyway, I have to edit that out. Uh, yeah, no, no. Um, Dagon and Hydra. So, uh, where, where, where do Dagon and Hydra begin? Uh, we, 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 I believe what, we first get Dagon in 1920, 1921? Uh, so, I was thinking a little bit earlier. I'll have to check okay. when Dagon was written. I, sure. Uh, but, yeah, so he first appears... Curious enough, in the the short story named after him. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. In the story, a uh, person who is captured by, uh, I believe, Germans, and then escapes, uh, and then his little little dinghy uh, ends up on a, a squishy, gross land, and you know, I don't, I don't want to ruin uh, Dagon for you, but. <laughs> Yeah, so, so so Dagon was written in 1917. 1917, okay. Okay, that but, makes but sense. But published in 1919. Okay, all right. Cool, very cool. Uh, and this is one of the first horror stories by Lovecraft. Oh, okay. Uh, and, and you're absolutely right. It's one of, and Lovecraft does this often, the character is only I. Yeah, we, we can assume that this is a male character mm-hmm. because he fought in World War One. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, probably not Randolph Carter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so so absolutely right. Now, uh, 
again a little bit of a, a, a side here mm-hmm. um, a couple years ago uh, Roger Corman yeah was uh, at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival yes he was and, and he said that if he had money he wanted to do a version of Dagon where it was a pilot yeah and do you know you know mad I mean blue Max and you know Red Baron were really big back then he wanted to do like a uh, World War One uh, airplane movie, and then the English guy gets shot down, picked up by the German boat, and then tell the Dagon story. They just they didn't have the money. Yeah, yeah, and that would have cost a lot of money to, to do the. And 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 Corman is the man known for making movies on the cheap. Oh yeah, and yeah. he just said the, the you know and. and things you know they would use a set and before they took it down they'd use it for another movie or mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. Or, or borrow costumes sure he, he just yeah the movie he wanted to make they, they just couldn't afford it at the time oh that's really a shame that's really a shame but uh i don't know um i can't tell who i prefer to butcher lovecraft if i prefer Stuart gordon or roger corman to butcher lovecraft um <laughs> <laughs> And well, I, love, I always thought just that the, the fighter pilot part would have been very interesting. Oh, yeah. No, no. Have that be like the first, uh, you know, because you have to pad that out. Not a not a huge amount of stuff happens. And you can only film someone walking on a mucky mire for so long. But Roger Corman, I mean, uh, yeah, you could pad that out a bit. And uh, yeah, no. And then definitely have like the fighter pilot stuff and the U-boat stuff. Or, or, or the destroyer stuff or whatever uh, uh, you end up doing with your, your I mean a U-boat wouldn't make sense but um, depending on what sets you have available to you at the time you may end up doing something like oh it's a U-boat um, but yeah no uh, it's, it's uh, that, w- that, that would be a very cool thing to see uh, yeah R- Roger Corman, Dagon Roger Corman, Shadow over Innsmouth uh, I mean <laughs> I think we've seen Stuart Gordon's Shadow over Innsmouth. Or or no, who 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 did Dagon the movie? The Dagon the 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 movie? Yeah. Um let me do a little bit of check in here yeah. for you. Go oh. through my notes. Now, it was I do know off the top of my head. Yeah. It was a Spanish American project. Oh, okay, okay. And that's why you got that that view and the movie Dagon, mm-hmm. I have a sort of a mixed relationship with the movie Dagon. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of blood and gore, but it's a beautiful movie. Yeah. No, definitely, definitely. All right. Is it Joe Dante? Um, Let's see. see nope, Stuart Gordon. Yeah. Stuart Gordon. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's hard to believe, too, but... You know, that movie's been out for two decades. It yeah. It was in 2001. Yeah, no, I just saw that. It's like 20 years old. I don't think I saw it until like 2005, 2006. Someone said, you know, there's a film called Dagon. And I'm like, what? And then uh, I got it on Netflix when Netflix used to mail stuff to you. <laughs> so, yeah, I actually, I mean, I was aware of it. Yeah. But I yeah. didn't see it until... Uh, it was on the Sci-Fi Channel. Gotcha, gotcha. That's the first time I saw it. Okay. And, and even then, and, and and like I said, I'm not a. I just not a big gore fan. Sure, sure. But but, but it's a beautiful movie. Yeah, 
Yeah. It's coloring, it's light, um, the the city, it's this creepy atmospheric, uh-huh. um, probably much more beautiful actors and actresses than than Lovecraft imagined. Oh sure, yeah. But but it's, but it's a beautiful movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it is. It's 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 a nice movie. It's a nice movie. Um, I I. Uh... I, I think it's a little too nice for the story, personally. <laughs> but I, I, I do like that kind of, like, uh, it's it's a beautiful place and beautiful people and a terrible, terrible secret. It makes the secret even more terrible. And if you don't know the story, you kind of don't know what to expect. Hold on one second, I got a cough. Uh, like, not sick, but, re- you know. I'm recovering from my two shots. Uh, My muscles hurt so bad. I've just been laying on a couch. I haven't even been able to play my new guitar. (laughs) Anyway, um, where were we? What what, uh, we were talking about? So the the movie is, it it is a beautiful movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the color, it's a, it's a beautiful use of color. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I have to say it's it's probably uh, one of the best looking Stuart Gordon films I've I've seen. And, uh, and story wise, though, it's much more Shadow Over Innsmouth than Dagon. Oh, definitely, definitely. And uh, what I was going to say is everyone who out there is familiar with Shadow Over Innsmouth, it's 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 ugly dirty people in a like i don't know sea town that's falling apart and i i imagine downtown yeah yeah i i I imagine more like uh the 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 village uh in uh uh, uh, sweet haven in the movie popeye you know filmed in malta um like run down uh, rundown shacks that are in the ocean, above the ocean, suspended on piers, uh, just rickety ramps and gangplanks and whatnot, and just kind of a mishmash of stuff sinking into the sea, and just kind of like, you know, it's like the the, the first floor of the building is is still on land, but it's like. It's 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 got a little bit of water in it. You got buildings exactly. that are burnt out and missing doors and windows and I don't know maybe maybe like uh, if <laughs> uh, the, the 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 town in Popeye like you know came into massive disarray due to uh, yeah I mean due to a plague in yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and it's definitely. And and, and part of that is, I think, the genius of Lovecraft. Mm -hmm. And you can't really talk about the deep ones without, in Dagon, without getting into the Shadow of Innsmouth. Sure, yeah. Is that that they have different priorities. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Uh, And they're, um, yeah, they have different priorities. So maintaining these little buildings, and, and they also have different tolerances yeah water doesn't bother them. nope water is kind of nice i mean there's there's water running down you know your your your, your street or the floor of your house mm-hmm. that's not a bad thing that's lovecraft showing us the, the alienness of them and anyone who's listening to this right now and is like wait a minute what are they talking about deep ones are aquatic human hybrids that uh 
generally live in coastal towns, uh, according to Lovecraftian literature and RPGs. H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's story, Shadow Over Innsmouth and Dagon, uh, feature these creatures that are amphibian in nature, uh, look kind of like frogfish with sharp teeth and claws, and they worship the largest of their species, uh, Father Dagon and Mother Hydra. And that's that's just my crash course on deep ones, uh, Dagon and Hydra. And we're just chatting about them right now. So, yeah. And, and I think that's important too. Even though they're, they're almost seen as gods, and they, especially Dagon, it, mm-hmm. it appears as a, a a god. These are just large species. Yeah. They in turn worship Cthulhu, which mm-hmm. is like the high priest of. I keep forgetting who he is a pre-high priest of. Azathoth. <laughs> so it's sort of a, a power chain there. Sure, yeah, yeah. No, uh, I, I imagine, like, Dagon is, like, uh, not only... Dagon and Hydra are not only the uh, largest and oldest, but maybe maybe they have powers like Aquaman. They can, like, make an octopus do their bidding. Or like, no, I, I think that they definitely have sort of the sea <laughs> technology. Sure, and, yeah. And we see, we definitely see in the influence in the most latest Aquaman movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in the beginning, you know, at Arthur's father's house when he when he meets his mother, sure, there is uh, a copy of a Lovecraft book underneath the snow globe. Okay. So 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 and and. and um, the, the director said, you know, I'm, who who is Asian, mm-hmm. is saying, you know, I'm taking some of these Lovecraft, the parts that I loved is Lovecraft, the good parts, I thought, yeah. and putting it into the story. And we see a classic example is when at the, towards the end of the movie, we see, um, when uh, Aquaman and Mara are on that trawler yeah. and the lightning flashes and the, when you see the lightning these sea creatures are just climbing all over it. That is scary. That is classic Lovecraftian level horror. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah, no, no. Uh, deep, deep ones are scary. Deep ones are scary. Um, not in the way that like Lovecraft, you know, kind of like uh, wrote them as like a symbol of race mixing, uh, but. They're, they're scary because there's so many of them underwater. There's so many, like, one day they'll rise up and, like, eat us all. And that's that's pretty scary. Like, we don't know how many deep ones. Like, in the world of Lovecraft, uh, in the world of, you know, Lovecraftiana, and in the Cthulhu mythos, we don't know how many damn deep ones there are. There are there's probably billions uh, underneath the waves. And, uh, you know, a different Arthur and a scientist, mm-hmm. uh, Arthur C. Clarke, yeah. who, who I love, and, and he's gone, you know, I just, I cannot believe in the Loch Ness Monster. Yeah. He says, you know, lake monsters, river monsters, the small body of water. Sure. That there is these monsters in it. Yeah. I, I just can't get behind that. He said, you want to tell me that there's anything still living out in the ocean? That's a possibility. Oh, sure. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely. So there's also a theory Mm -hmm. 
uh, as and this is this is us rumor mongering or me rumor mongering. You bet. But that one of the reasons Lovecraft wrote this uh-huh. was that he hated or was allergic to fish. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. As someone who so, doesn't like seafood and is allergic to some seafood. Yeah. So so I think that's just interesting how Lovecraft, in not always a good ways, but uh-huh. he always put part of himself in his stories. Sure. Definitely. Yeah. I uh, I have to say, I, I am a big fan of the whole concept of Deep Ones because of the fact that I don't like the ocean and I don't like seafood. And I don't like... <laughs> I'm not a big fan of water. I mean, I love I love taking showers and I like, uh, I, I like warm, hot water. That's, that's what I like, but cold briny deep of the ocean does not appeal to me <laughs> although i love boats i love being on boats uh but yeah yeah no 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 it's like deep ones hydra um i was never afraid to go into the water or anything like that but like thinking about like what's out there in deep deep waters like you know used to scare me as a kid so 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 two 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 true stories sure and so, out of the blue one day, I was like six years old. Uh-huh. We, my dad was going to take me to the beach. We, we lived in a coastal town, but we didn't go to the beach. And so he bought me like one of those styrofoam. To me, it was huge, but you know, I was only six years old. Little styrofoam floating things, uh-huh. so like a like boogie, cheap boogie board. Mm-hmm. And, and I slipped off. And, and I started rolling in the waves. And I'm six or seven, and so I have this vision that the sea creatures are going to come and take me in. They're going to take me to their underground volcano. Well, I'm rolling in the waves, remember. Uh-huh. Um, and, and to me, these sea creatures, you know, I'm six years old. Uh, they were sea monkeys. Okay. You know, the sea monkey ads. Sure. And, and then all of a sudden, I, I hit up, up something this hard as I'm being drifted out to the sea. And, and it's my dad. He just, he'd been right there, like with the inches of me. And he just moved in front of me. So I rolled into him. So I didn't like roll out. But I remember <laughs> to this day, I had this vision that I was going to go to. The, the, this was way before I knew anything about Lovecraft. That, uh-huh. that the sea people, which looked like sea monkeys to me, were going to take me to their underground volcano base where I would breathe. Ooh, maybe you were hearing the call of Cthulhu. <laughs> yeah. The other, and, and this was again, probably before I was Lovecraft, because I was probably 11 or 12. Uh-huh. My dad, my uncle, my cousin and I were out fishing. And there was something on the surface. Yeah. And it was grayish white and it was this big flab. And so we cut the engine and tried to drift up to it. Uh-huh. And it dived. And, and I remember thinking that, you know, it's some sort of, you know, creature from the Black Lagoon type creature. Yeah. And, and, and now I'm sure my my dad and my uncle were sure at the time. It was probably a sunfish. Okay. Because they do. I don't know if you've ever seen sunfish. Uh-huh. They're very flat. Yeah. But they, they literally lay on their side, and that's where they get their name, come up to the surface, and, and the warmth of the sun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and but you couldn't really see it. all you could see was this sort of gray flesh out yeah. in, in the water and, and I I always thought you know as a kid I knew it wasn't but you know I always thought 
what if it's like this big sea guy that's just like getting some sun and then he's all mad because the boat comes by? Yeah, let's 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 talk about the uh, uh, creature from the Black Lagoon for a moment. That's uh, that's pretty much closest thing we have had to a uh, deep one representation in media for like ever. <laughs> and, and, and here is the thing. Yeah. And I know that a lot of people that are considered a little bit more academic in their studies and scholarly than than you and I. Sure. Then, best of my knowledge, no one has been able to find a connection whether or not the the producers and the directors and the writers were aware of Lovecraft. Oh yeah. I suspect that they might, but if they were, they never admitted it, as far as I know. Yeah, no, but I mean, the, the idea of a, like a sea person, sea monster person, creature, like, uh, okay, we need a new monster. It's uh, a man in a suit that has claws and he comes out of uh, the water. Yeah, let's give him gills and claws. And uh, yeah, let's, let's uh, make him pop. So paint him green. <laughs> Even though it's black and, so, and white. And, and it wasn't, this wasn't just a, an idea that Lovecraft created. Sure, yeah, no. Uh, the the Japanese had, you know, shark men. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, there definitely were inspirations. But, but yeah, I would say that the Creature of Black Lagoon is, is, a, is a really good representation of a deep one, even though they may not have known what deep ones were when they were creating it. Yeah, yeah. Crazy stuff, crazy stuff. All right. Um, after the break, uh, Dave's going to talk about some Dave stuff. And then we will talk about using Deep Ones, Dagon, and Hydra in your D&D campaign, Call of Cthulhu, etc. All right. We'll see you after the break, everyone. And remember, uh, we uh, this month are sponsored by Blueberry and... Uh, a Kai, I don't know how to say that, uh, flavored Rockstar Limited Edition, uh, Copper Cow Coffee, uh, Pour Over Vietnamese Coffee, one of my personal favorites, and Glary Electric Guitars. Check out the electric guitars that Glary has right now. They've got some new cool ones coming in. And uh, yeah, no, for under $200, you can get one of those uh, fancy schmancy guitars uh, that have F-holes cut in them, semi-hollow. They look really nice, and I got one, but I've been too weak to play it since I got my shots the other day. Which they have effing holes cut in them? <laughs> no, they've got f holes like a violin. Uh, oh. So yeah, no, it's violins it's, have effing holes cut in them. They totally do, Dave. They totally this do. Is, send your David knows nothing about music hate mail to pgttcm.com slash contact. All right. Dave's. Dave's 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 Hello, my listeners. I hope you are doing well, as I am. So this is the part usually where I, sometimes DB, uh, interview someone. We're going to do it a little bit differently today because I wanted to share some things with you. Not because I messed up and didn't schedule an interview. No, that would never happen. Too often. 
No, today I want to talk to you a little bit about the evolution of the show and why it is, why the farm? So the answer to that question is yes, a good proportion of the show is actually recorded on a working farm. Why? Because I live on a working farm and it's just easier to record here than, you know, than uh, drive into uh, Portland and work with uh, DB or I've done actually some recording, uh, some interviews in my cars just because of timing or because I didn't want the uh, occasional uh, farm sound. So we get that coming in and it's usually farm noises are coming to the show uh, as our regular audience know usually one of two forms. The most common is Ralph the Rooster. The roosters like to come right up to my window any time of the day and just belt out this huge cock-a-doodle-doo. Uh, and it's several roosters that do it, but we all generically tag them under Ralph. And uh, I was uh, on uh, the Innsmouth Book Club. Uh, the whole idea between that podcast is that you actually travel to Innsmouth and you know you tour, you talk about uh, things of crafting, and the rooster just went off right there. So I had to explain that I had uh, Ralph, my emotional support rooster, and that I uh, I, I brought it to uh, Innsmouth, uh, Massachusetts, with me. Um, so yes, and then when it comes to March, around that area in the next month or so, uh, this is a goat, actual goat farm, and so we will be bringing newborn baby goats uh, into the living room because it's so cold, sometimes even my room, uh, and I do my day job too, also from home, and occasionally people, I mean, people talking on the phone are used to people working from home now with, with COVID. And sometimes people will hear uh, the goats, the baby goats, uh, but not know what they are. And I have people ask me, uh, are you working from home? Do you have kids? Well, yes, I have kids, but not the kind you think of. And we do, you know, work around, especially if maybe we're interviewing someone who's not really comfortable with uh, farm sounds, you know, they can always say, hey, uh, we want to cut those out, but almost no one does. I mean, that's part of the charm of this show, I think, is that, you know, part of it is uh, recorded and produced on a working farm. And uh, ironically, I just stopped recording for a little bit, wanted to backtrack some, and, and Ralph just uh, let off a, a, a cock-a-doodle-doo there, so we just missed it, but it does happen occasionally. Very rarely, if we're doing a storyline or something, we will add um, goat sounds or uh, rooster sounds if it's needed for the storyline that we're doing. Uh, very rarely. Most of these are actual goats and roosters here. Now, those uh, long-term listeners know uh, that uh, the uh, People's Guide to the uh, Cthulhu Mythos has been around 
I don't think a decade, but at least like six, seven, eight years. Uh, I got involved with it maybe about two or three years. Uh, when its companion uh, podcast, uh, Black Clock Audio, and I would often appear as a guest uh, doing a portion of the show um, talking usually something mythos related maybe Ambrose beers um, you know but usually mythos related stuff uh, DB and I have met and have known each other from uh, different Road City Comic Con as well as things like uh, the uh, HP Lovecraft Film Festivals uh, so you know we, we definitely traveled in the same circles at least uh, when the cons and the conventions came through I knew many of the same people uh, so I was became uh, a frequent guest on the uh, People's Guide to the uh, Cthulhu Mythos um, second only I think probably to Ken Height for a period of time then um, you know, DBA basically offered me my own show. And it took me about five minutes to come up with the, the sort of working concept. And that was called Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigan. And then again, I go back to just sort of clear something up. And, and Ralph Crow, oh, there he is, there, there's a Ralph. But yeah, he's uh, kind of uh, talkative, but only apparently when I usually got the uh, recording turned down. Uh, so back to the story. So uh, I came up with the idea of up uh, there. There's a loud, loud, good, strong Ralph for you. Yeah, real, real rooster. Uh, you're listening live. So I came up with the idea of this persona of Farmer Dave. It was kind of okay. We, we know you're real, Ralph. <laughs> you, you can you can back down a little bit. Uh, that Farmer Dave was this uh, goat farmer who discovered that he had a underground Illuminati base uh, and museum under his farm that he had inherited and uh, loud roosters uh, and went to there and some of the stories were like sort of these relics kind of a uh, based on uh, GURPS uh, Warehouse 23. Some of them were, you know, find the entire USS Eldritch uh, in what he thought was a swimming pool underneath his his farm. Um, so, and, and that was fun, but uh, that was a lot of work for one single person. And I would do what I could. And so, there was sometimes there'd be three or four episodes a month and sometimes there'd be one and from this i kind of grew out oleander oregon now oleander was kind of this always had this idea in my head of what the town estacada oregon i live in what it would be like if it was really sort of high weirdness um and i would mention oleander a little bit in Dave's underground goat shenanigan. But DB, who, who keeps a really good idea, he, he's got an idea of what is being listened to, what's not being listened to, 
what the audience is listening to, especially uh, with COVID. And he said, okay, we're gonna just combine everything and we're gonna make it into one show. Um, and we thought about maybe Welcome to Oleander, um, but that just seemed too much, you know, or Morning Oleander, and that just sounded too much like a, a Welcome to Night Vale to us. So we went with Radio Free Oleander. And where we would basically do characters of ourselves and we would be broadcasting podcast radio show um, and we would hype up on basically um, the weird people in the town and the weird things were going uh, and we did that for about a year and then uh, you know people started coming back people started requesting more mythos stuff so we went back to, you know, the People's Guide to Cthulhu Mythos. So there's a lot of things that sort of blend in. In fact, we still do real reports about what's going on in, in Oleander, but we've got basically um, one show, uh, The People's Guide to Cthulhu Mythos, and that's a combination of a bunch of different shows. Uh, Dave's Underground, uh, Got uh, goat shenanigans. Welcome to Oleander, or a uh, radio free Oleander, excuse me. D and D on D and D, Black Clock Radio, and of course, the original People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Now the show is usually broken into three parts, and recently, what we have been doing, recently being I believe about the last four months or about twelve to sixteen episodes is we're just basically going through alphabetical order the creatures, tropes, characters, and sometimes writers of the Cthulhu Mythos. And we're up to D now, uh, Dagon, Hydra, and the Deep Ones. And we usually break the show up into three parts. So the first part, we talk a little bit about what's going on in Oleander, and a lot of that's just uh, sort of riffing. Sometimes we have ideas, but a lot of that's improv, and a lot of it is sort of exaggerated versions of what's happening in our real life, like the time I turned and accidentally ended up leading a local town parade because I made a wrong turn coming out of the supermarket or this strange guy who uh, uh, was knocking on DB's door on New Year's Eve. But uh, a lot of it's sort of exaggerated, you know, what's going on, you know. And then um, we usually talk, um, sometimes we call this Dave's Corner uh, of the... Uh, the, or Dave's Corner of the Podcast, if I'm uh, sort of hogging the conversation, then that's about one of the subjects. Part two is usually in what you're listening to or not listening to in this case, is an interview, usually with a, a writer or maybe an academic or uh, someone who is in some way involved in horror or science fiction, uh, Lovecraftian or not, uh, often game designers. Uh, then we have the third part, which is again usually 
a Lovecraftian top and or trope, but it's more on how it could be used in pen and paper role-playing games, since uh, Daniel and I are both really enthusiastic uh, RPGers. Now, let's say that you are interested in the Cthulhu Mythos, but really not role-playing games. That's okay, because we often discuss the topics. Um, we discuss more than just how they fit into a, a role-playing campaign. Uh, so, even though some of what we talk about will be of little interest to you, I think if what we do present about the topic itself, either the trope or the creature or maybe the, the dark demonic book, I think you'll find it interesting. Now, are we going to change again? Of course we're going to change again. Change is that one constant that is even in the, the dark uh, empathy of Lovecraftian universe, change happens. Uh, but I don't know what the change is yet. I don't think that DB does. But what we he does is he's very in tune to the demographics, what people will listen to, what they listen to the most, and also feedback. And so there may be changes in the show as we progress. Um, he always, you know, sort of keeps one step ahead of the trends uh, and so we will sort of change to 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 meet what the trends are what the desires of the the listening audience now what does become very effective here is that input so if there's something you want more oleander less roosters whatever it is more comedy or less comedy uh, then by all means, reach out to us because, especially in this part where we're growing and things are sort of picking up, uh, we're sort of getting more sponsors, this is a time where, bluntly, uh, we're influenced by peer pressure. So this is a great time to either uh, send us an email or send us a message on uh, Facebook of what you would like to see more, who you'd like to see us interview, and um, it's a good chance that uh, we'll do it. So that's sort of the basic history of who we are and how we got here. Uh, and um, I'm just uh, hoping that we'll be able to keep this up and we're, just how much we are grateful for uh, people who listen, support, and, and reach out to us. So uh, with that, I'm hoping that you are staying well. Listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, you can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, 
submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the people's guide to the Cthulhu mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. back from the break dave and uh yeah we're talking about deep ones dagon and hydra esoteric order of dagon um so, so in D in most games you know your work is cut out <sighs> oh yeah yeah but totally there is a deep one influence race and, and even um, this is where we do. I think Gary Gygax and the original writers loved Lovecraft. Oh, yeah. And they were very open that the, uh, the uh, and I always mispronounce this, the Shigawan. Yeah, the Shigawan, that's what I call them. Are, are, are based on the Deep One. Yeah. I, I feel like there's a couple that could be based off the Deep Ones, but the Shigawan, I, I always felt were like very Lovecraftian in nature. In fact, oh, and again, it's probably about 15 years ago, back when they still had paper print, uh-huh. uh, uh, Dragon magazines. Oh yeah, they had an article called uh, "The uh, Shadow Over." Uh, I want to say um, Greyhawk. Okay, it was one of them, and, and they said that that definitely Gygax said that the Shigalan were based on on the. Uh, the deep ones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that wouldn't be too hard then to make a Dagon and Hydra who are just like much, much, much higher level uh, clerics of Azathoth. So, yeah, and, and I'm pretty sure. Or, or warlocks. Yeah, or warlocks, definitely. Uh, you know what is even easier? What's that? the new Modifius Conan game because they blend out say that they are deep ones. Oh, cool. And, and, and because there's always this sort of Lovecraft, Robert E. Howard connection. Uh-huh. But one of the free adventures you can get is about, a, a, a spo- I'm probably spoiling this, but about, it's a shipwreck adventure. Oh, cool. Uh, where, where fishy guys come up but but they straight out call them deep ones in that as, as well as of course the call of cthulhu okay all right cool cool oh yeah yeah call of cthulhu uh definitely has deep ones dagon and hydra all statted out for you i'm sure somewhere out there D has dagon and hydra statted out for you that isn't in deities and demigods first edition uh, <laughs> uh yeah i think it is uh our our good friend whose name I forgot but you will recognize the name as soon as I say it oh Sandy Peterson oh yeah I yeah. believe Sandy Peterson has a fifth edition out as well as you can find him online okay cool cool that's awesome that's awesome and uh, yeah so 
Dave, how would you use Deep Ones, Dagon, and Hydra in your D&D campaign? Well, here's one that I like that can be sort of system agnostic, uh, agnostic. But have you seen the movie Underwater? No. So, so the director has definitely said, and again, spoilers, that the creatures in Underwater, although they don't use the worm, are Deep Ones. And the big bad that shows up at the end is Cthulhu. Ooh, okay. So, um, and I get it. It's a mixed bag. Um, underwater really sort of throws you right into the middle of the story. Right from, I mean, the, uh, for those that aren't familiar, it starts out as sort of this underwater survival story. Okay. Where uh, this huge underwater mining complex starts cracking up and water starts flooding everybody out and the survivors have to get out. Okay. So this could be this great template for a Call of Cthulhu game, a GURPS transhuman under pressure, which is our underwater game, um, uh, cyberpunk. Yeah. You know, and then, so they have to get to from one end of this underwater construction or underwater mining, whatever it is, to the other end to get to the escape pods. So they got to go all the survival. And then about halfway, they start finding this life form that tries to, to grab them and, and, and kill them. So it comes from just basic underwater survival to underwater horror survival. Mm-hmm. And then at the bit, at the end... And I think this is what, well, uh, I think the way that they introduce the Cthulhu character, and Cthulhu is never used in the the movie, but the, the director and produce, writer said, yeah, no, this is Cthulhu. The way that they sort of introduce it, how they first see it, is just great impact. And like I said, I get it's a hit and miss movie, and a lot of people don't like it, but I think that's a great um, sort of high tech or modern high-ish tech way to use um, sea creatures. And, and there's a lot of underwater-based uh, games like Polaris, uh, GURPS Transhuman mm-hmm. Space, uh, Under Pressure. Uh, the f- first third of the fourth corporate war in Cyberpunk 2020 mm-hmm. is two ocean tech companies. Okay. So it, it can become this sort of horror but it doesn't have to be traditional horror. It could be that these deep ones are created biotech by the other corporations or the other Ooh, nations. Neato, yeah. I like that. I like that. So I, I love this sort of... And, and underwater is like being in outer space. Mm-hmm. Humans aren't designed to live there. Sure, yeah. So all of a sudden, you're in the deep ones' territory. Especially this high tech. We think we've got this safe thing set up. Uh, it could be like a, a GURP steampunk Atlantis or whatever. We've got this big underwater complex. Well, you know, it just takes a few cracks and everything goes to heck. Yeah. Okay. Huh. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, what I was thinking is going in the opposite direction of instead of the future, doing the past. And I was thinking... Uh, something about like I don't know Meiji Restoration Japan, uh, and just having like uh, deep ones being kind of like 
oh, I hope this doesn't sound too dumb, but like uh, coastal farmers and stuff like that who are trying to take over the the, 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 the whole the whole archipelago. Uh, maybe uh, they have a church, uh, well, they have a cult, uh, the cult of Dagon, you know? Uh, maybe everyone just thinks it's like some sort of like death cult or something, but it's like just, they're just trying to take over the whole island. And then after they take over the whole island, maybe move to mainland uh, Asia kind of thing. Have you ever read a Roger Zelani short story called 24 Views of Mount Fuji? No. So in this, it's a, an American agent in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she basically is battling the the monks of Dagon. Oh, okay. And, and, and so they are monks. Japanese monks uh-huh. and she's got to go to like the 24 places that Mount Fuji was painted to find evidence uh, but of the story um, the part that I remember the most mm-hmm. is yeah the, so they had the monks of Dagon which were these like deformed monks with their own like martial arts sure. with webbed um, with webbed fingers and so I mean yeah it makes uh, and, and if you're doing like a D&D game you know you do a uh, Lizard Man or Shigawa monks mm-hmm. as the enemy. Yeah, I was I was thinking Kappa, the uh, turtle people with a little uh, bowl of water in their head. Yeah, yeah. I was I was like thinking like maybe that like what if Deep Ones bred with Kappas and you know not necessarily monks but like uh, just kind of hit out as like rice farmers and uh, at night just kind of like attacked places and you're hired by some uh some 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 cowardly uh warlord who's like ooh, you've got to protect us you know maybe get a little uh i don't know um sanjiro on this whole thing uh uh, and you know have like two warlords who are like fighting over stuff and then you've got this cult that's trying to like gain influence over people in both and get them to join up to rise up against both of the 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 the, the uh, warlords, uh, which was which was a real thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cult politics in, in medieval Japan were, were absolutely a real thing. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know we say cult, but I mean they were regional religions trying to influence a national country. Absolutely a real thing during medieval Japan. Yeah. Yeah, but um, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, I was thinking uh, Meiji Restoration just because uh, it's the one that I know the most about. <laughs> and, and if you're using GURPS Japan, uh-huh. they do have um, oh the the Shark Men. Oh yeah, as, as they do have the stats for it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you could definitely do it for D and D. Just do like Fantasy Asia. Uh, D&D really likes to do that. <laughs> it's not nearly as bad as it used to be, though. Uh, I, I think they do more research than, you know, uh, martial arts films these days, so that's nice. Yeah. Um, and, and, and even, um, and absolutely, I love the idea of putting it in an Asian setting, mm-hmm. but even a medieval setting, because uh, the Merigogian line to the French uh, throne claimed to have come from the sea. Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know, there's there's something I like about, like, uh, 
late uh, 19th century American soldiers like having to like deal with like deep ones in the Philippines uh, trying to build a base or something like that. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. And I mean, that might be an interesting like uh, Delta Green. Absolutely. Or, um, you know, there's a lot of Lovecraft doesn't really say who it was that invaded um, Innsmouth. Oh, I thought it, he said that it was the Navy. Well, no, no. So the Navy, uh-huh. the, I think they sent some Coast Guard, mm-hmm. but he sent some military and then some Federals. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so the Federals are um, and probably not, I, 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 they're kind of as the FBI, but to be honest, it's kind of early for the FBI. Yeah. So a lot of sort of out of Delta Green, the kind of idea is that the Navy, that they had Marines. Yeah, yeah. And the Marines, in one of some of the Delta Green short stories, Mm -hmm. they're pulled off of, I think, an actual Marine action in Nicaragua. Okay. So so what if, you know, you did a Marine campaign Mm -hmm. and called Cthulhu that you, okay, invaded Innsmouth, and then you're sent back to Nicaragua, and the Deep Ones want revenge. Ooh. They, 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 they can smell the blood of their relatives on you. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, oh, goodness. Uh, deep ones. Uh, you can use them all over the place. Uh, anywhere that there's water, you can uh, throw out deep ones. Um, one thing I've thought of, like, uh, growing up in Portland is it's like, oh, man, there's, there's, like, not any good places where deep ones could hide. And then I'm like... Well, <laughs> we do have a lot of bridges that people live under here, or used to, and then they welded everything shut, put rocks under everything, big boulders. Um, let's you, you know, one of the, the scariest scenes was of all people, Derelith. Yeah. Is, is he has the, the deep ones traveling the rivers. So I've seen him as, you know, like salmon, fresh and salt water. Oh. So, so they're going to be, they could, you know, Deep ones want to hit something in Portland. You know, they just go up the Columbia and yeah. take a left at the Willamette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I, yikes. <laughs> so, so I got a, another idea. Probably we're probably close to wrapping it up. Okay, okay. But you know, we think of we we think of Star Wars. We you know one of the main characters in in all the games. Yeah, is, is the Mon Calamari. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we think of them, you know, kind of as Admiral Akbar, the good guys. Yeah. But what if there is a cult of Dagon, a bunch of evil uh, Mon Calamari? Ooh. That are, you know, selfish. And not only are we going to kill the Quarons, we're going to kill all the humans, too. Yeah. So, you know, you could, you could use it easily in a Star Wars or any science fiction type game. Ooh. And I have one final one. I was thinking, what if during uh, any any major conflicts in the southeast, uh, like any anything from like the uh, uh, Battle of uh, eighteen uh, War of eighteen twelve to the Civil War, like anything uh, like you know Deep Ones being like, oh hey, these people are fighting. What if we just like try and start taking over now? You know, and because uh, I mean, that's that's kind of like what happened in uh, Innsmouth at one point in time is, uh, 
there was there was just kind of like enough people not paying attention that stuff happened and let's say you have uh i don't know uh oh uh, i think it was uh the battle of new orleans happened because the fact that people didn't get word in time or something like that the, the surrender treaty had signed uh, after uh, before the battle took place and they weren't aware of it yeah what if they were aware of it and what actually happened was deep ones <laughs> yeah, you know that's an excellent part uh idea yeah anyway so um <laughs> yeah no you could have the uh british and the americans fighting together at the battle of new orleans uh with uh, French and German troops as well at, that would have been there uh, fighting against deep ones. And maybe there's like a, a French soldier who's like, oh, sacre bleu, I know all about this stuff. My grandmother used to tell me she's Greek and she grew up here and they used to have these things and they used to get rid of them by doing this. And then, you know, saves the day. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, it's not like you're going to have a chance to go do library checks or anything like that if you're doing a Call of Cthulhu game. But anyway, yeah. Battle of New Orleans, uh, Deep Ones. That's that's my idea. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. <laughs> me too, me too. All right. Well, hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Next week, I'm not sure what we're having. Uh, we were slated to do Delta Green, but I'm like, hey, we've had Scott Glancy on so much. Do we really need to do Delta Green? So we are going to be talking about Daeloth and the Dark Young of Shubnigaroth. And after that, oh. we will be talking about Dimensional Shamblers and the Dreamlands. After that, it'll be Dunwich and Ibon. And then after that, it'll be Season 15. And we will see you in Season 15 after that. But hey, we'll see you next week for Episode uh, 29, Season 14. All right, everyone. Thank you again so much for listening to the show. Rate, review, subscribe. PGTTCM.com is where we have links to all or most of our uh, show sponsors and a link to Dave's website, which I don't know if he's even updating these days. But No, but it's got a lot of good stuff. It has, a, read it. it has a ton so, of good so stuff. So be there or be a non-Euclidean shape. Yeah. Anything else you have to say before we head off into this glorious night, Dave? Thank you for listening and bye. Bye. All right. So I, I happen.